Well, good morning. My name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors here, and if I don't know you, I want to change that right after the service, all right? So uh, we haven't met, and I think there might be one or two people here who I haven't met, which always bugs me, you know? I'm one of those guys, when I walk into the room, I want to know everybody there. Um, anyway, we're glad you're here this morning, and uh, the Beatitudes, right? Sermon on the Mount. Um, probably going to sound stupid coming from a pastor, but Sermon on the Mount is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I know I say that a lot, but I have a lot of favorite passages of Scripture. And uh, this particular Beatitude, by the way, the Beatitude, the term, in case you don't know this, um, and, and, and maybe weren't here earlier, because um, I always wondered how that get, how this section right before the, 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 the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is, has traditionally, ever since I've been a kid, been called the Beatitudes. Well, how'd that happen? Here's how that happened. Way back, even before the Bible was translated into English, which was uh, about 1516, um, um, e- even before that, there was the Latin Vulgate Bible. And um, the Latin Vulgate Bible was translated into Latin, obviously, and they used this term. And that was the first Bible they really used. They started div- dividing the Bible for clarity's sake into sections and saying this would be the Sermon on the Mount, this would be the Olivet Discourse, this would be, you know, Paul's teaching on whatever. Just for clarity purposes, it wasn't, it wasn't inspired, it was just sort of an editor's note. And, and somebody used this Latin word with the Latin Vulgate Bible, the, beat, the beatitudo is the Latin word, uh, which means blessed or happiness, and ever since it stuck. So ever since that time, we call these first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes. There's about eight of them, nine of them if you count them a certain way, and one, one kind of goes together and... We're using that as sort of an eight-week series uh, called Winning, which is really winning, winning the way that Jesus wins um, for the summer for our series. And um, when we're sitting down, myself and, and Chris Trathaway, who's our, our lead pastor, and Clay Poor, who is our pastor of uh, Spiritual Formations, we were sitting down dividing these up for the summer as to who would do what. I, I fought for this one because this is, uh, if I can have a favorite beatitude, this would be one of them because... Uh, Interesting wording, and it's, it's, it's hard in some ways to understand, but it means a lot to me, and I'm going to show you why. Let me just show it to you in case you don't know it. This is uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 in the uh, NIV. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Interesting wording. Huh? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Keep that on your brain. They will be filled. All right? And then I want you to look at another translation. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Interesting use of the word one. Is that a synonym? Good question. Filled or or satisfied. It certainly can be. Um, The reason, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons that I love this is is that there's, there's some tension in understanding this passage, and here's the tension. Um, these people, and you're going to hear me say that a lot, these people, and I'm referring to these people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, these people um, have this, this tension going on. And the tension is, while on the one hand, they have a deep desire to follow God in every area of their life, on the other hand, they realize that no one on earth is ever going to achieve total righteousness in their life, right living, right attitudes, right actions. No one's ever going to achieve all of that in this life until you meet Jesus, either 
you go to meet him or he comes back to earth, one or the other. So the, you see the tension, it is a hunger and thirst for righteousness, but on the other hand, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect in this world. So uh, that's thus where the tension comes in. Uh, in fact, one commentator who I appreciate a lot, Bonnie Thurston, put it this way, it is not the one who has attained righteousness, but the one who hungers for it, whom the Beatitudes assert that God blesses. And and, and the thing that's very difficult to communicate, I'm going to try, is just how countercultural this was to these people. For them, I mean, keep in mind, you're you're a young Jewish person. You go to Hebrew school, or whatever the equivalent was back then. You learn the 613 commands of 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 the Mosaic law. They're there in Deuteronomy. 613 commands, not just 10. That's just the moral command. 613 commands. I know what some of you are thinking, because I, I know some of you are, are, are like this. You're, some of you are thinking, Rich, did you count all 613 of those commands in Scripture? No, I didn't. But I read several commentaries who said that was the case. So, But I tell you what, for those of you who are really, really smart and want to do that, maybe you ought to go home today and count. count start, start in Deuteronomy. You go through Numbers. You go through Leviticus. Count all 613 commands, all right? So there you go, a little challenge for you for a heat-filled afternoon. If you, if, if you do that, you've got way too much time on your hands. But anyway, anyway, just think of, of, little, of, of young, this young guy, Levi, maybe, uh, a good name there for, for this Jewish culture. Uh, there, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples, 12 disciples, but like, you know, almost 5,000 people end up there listening to Jesus teach. And you can just sort of picture in your mind, here's Levi and, and, and Moshe, and, 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 and they're talking, and they're hearing Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you can almost see them looking at each other, what is he talking about? Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness? I keep all the commands. I keep this one and this one, and I don't do this one. I don't. What is he? Taking it to the attitude, to the heart. Such a totally foreign concept at this particular time. Uh, and, and really, to be honest, when I started figuring that out as a 18 or 19-year-old, having been in church since literally, literally since I was two weeks old, and I started figuring out this thing about the Lord is, is, is about a relationship with, with Christ, and it's about an attitude and heart. That was news to me. I was raised in a Baptist church. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're that church or another kind of church or whatever. In a lot of churches, it's new. It's new. It's the whole idea of, of an attitude. And yet, that's what Jesus continued to emphasize over and over and over again. Totally counter to their culture. Here's the thing. When we stop and we, and we just sort of ponder this thought for a moment, Keep in mind, we've talked about some of the other beatitudes. Like uh, two weeks ago, I talked about blessed are those who mourn. And we learned that, one of that what that means is you mourn your broken condition. And, 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 and so these people are saying, I understand that I'm broken. I understand that I'm flawed. I understand that I'm a sinner. I'm a, you know, in fact, in that, in that message, if you weren't here, I'll, I'll just quick little sidelight. I said something like this. What we really need to do in church is whenever we come up I need to start off the, the thing by saying, hi, my name's Rich. 
I'm a dirty, rotten, scum-sucking, dirtball, and selfish SOB. Um, somebody came up and introduced themselves to me that way today. And uh, I said, okay, we're going to really do this, huh? Uh, anyway, and the point is, we all have that in us. We're all selfish at times, sometimes more than others. But it's all, it's all part of the sinful condition, and we have to recognize it. We can't settle for it. doesn't mean we don't try to do better, but that's what we are. That's why Jesus came. And so when you understand this particular uh, beatitude in light of that, this verse in, be, be, in, in light of that, you, you're able to better understand what Jesus is really getting at here. Now, I want to tell you about what, this, what does this mean? What do these people have, this, this hungering and thirsting after righteousness that I need to have? What do they have? I want to start by, I'm going to give you sort of a threefold definition of that. But before I get there, I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. It always helps me to know what it doesn't mean before I start figuring out what it does mean. It doesn't mean that we've got to get all Christian-y. It's not a word, but I like to use it. It doesn't mean we get all Christian-y and start maximizing the rules and, and ceremony over, over just an honest, heartfelt desire to seek the things of Christ and to be the person that he wants me to be. I'll give you an example in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is talking here to the religious people of the day. We know, that, we know them as the Pharisees. And, um, and, and look how he handles this. This is in Mark chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 5. He says, So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? Notice they said traditions of the elders, not what the Bible, not what the Bible teaches. According to the tradition, instead of eating their food with defiled hands, let me just explain that before we go to that. Let me just explain defiled hands for a moment. They had this thing of a ceremonial cleansing. Don't think that this means that we wash our hands before we eat because we're, we're trying to avoid germs. I, I believe in that. Whether or not that is godliness or not, we could argue. That's not, but that's not what they're talking about. They had this thing that they would do, this ceremonial cleansing that they would have to do before they would eat. And, and basically, there's a bowl of water, and everybody dip their hands in there and then move on down. Because the ceremony, can you imagine? Everybody does that with the same, same bowl of water. Can you imagine what a cesspool that must have been? I mean, you talk about cleanliness. Anyway, so they're, not talking about, they're talking about ceremonial cleansing, and, and for a, a number of reasons, Jesus' disciples weren't able to do that at a particular time. And the Bible says nothing about this. So it's just, so they just basically ignored it. Now, here's what Jesus said. To them. They're giving me a hard time about that. Here's what Jesus says, verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. I love how he goes right for the juggler. When he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. They have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the human traditions. Right away, Jesus says, listen, you guys, you're missing the point. It's all about hoo-ha and circum, you know, circum this and you know, circumstances here and, 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 and doing this and doing that and praying this way and worshiping this way. Or worshiping. Not, that isn't important. What's important is the heart. And, and this is the issue. When we start talking about those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to say it, it's not always something you can see visibly because it's internal. Now, I want you to contrast this. 
with a with a great quote from Eugene Peterson. He wrote he para- he wrote the paraphrase of the message uh, Bible that I, I like, and he's been a writer, commentator, and preacher, and so forth. But contrast that with what he says. All the persons of faith that I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. Leave that up there just for a moment. I want you to think about that. All the people of faith that I know are sinners and doubters and uneven performers. We become people of faith if you are one. When you come to the realization that Jesus came to life, came to earth, lived, he suffered, and he died, and then he rose again. And he did that for me. Let me assure you, my sins alone were enough to send Jesus to the cross. But he didn't just die for me, he died for you, and he rose again. We become people of faith when we recognize that fact, and we just say in our own way and in our heart, whether we say it verbally or not, I don't care as long as you do it in your heart. When we say, Lord, I want to trust you. I believe you did that for me. And someone comes along and they say, are you sure that Jesus did that? Are you sure that 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 really happened? And my answer is, I'm pretty sure. And they'll say, "But, but do you have empirical evidence? And my answer usually goes something like this. I am not a person of empirical evidence. I am a person of faith. That's why it's called faith. It's not called a life of empirical evidence. It's called faith. So we come to faith, we become people of faith when we trust Christ. Does that mean there are never any doubts? Not unless you have a frontal lobotomy or something. Does that mean you never have questions? No, I've I've trusted Christ and Jesus and have a relationship with him for a lot of years. That doesn't mean there aren't times when you have a few questions. And it sure as heck doesn't mean there aren't times when I say, God, what in the heck are you doing? Sometimes I've said worse because I'm upset. And you know what I've learned? God's big enough to handle my concerns. He's big enough to handle my doubts. He's big enough to handle my questions. I don't always get them answered. I hope and I think, I think, Someday I will when I go to heaven. But I'm not even sure about that, but I I think so. We become a person of faith when we first come to faith in Christ. In faith. Can't get away from that word. Got to use it a lot. And here's the other thing that we have to understand about this whole thing. You know, uh, Peterson's words, all all the people of faith I know are are, are sinners, doubters, and uneven performers. People of faith don't have it all together. And, and, and sometimes you look at people, oh, they got it all together. Oh, man, there's old so-and-so. There's old Pastor Rich. He's got it all together. Well, you probably know better about me. But I mean, it's just so-and-so. He, they got it all together. Listen, can I help you with something? I've been doing this a long time. Nobody has it all together. They may appear to have it all together. They may give all the appearances of that, but there's this vast internal world that's going on here. And nobody has it all together. That's why Jesus came. And we continue to trust him. Continue to cling to him. And in faith we do that. So, so 
That's where the whole, all, that, all that tension and so forth is set up. So who are these people? Who are these people that are, that are people who, who hunger and thirst after righteousness? And how do I become one if I'm not? I'm going to give you that threefold um, sort of definition of who they are and, and, and just talk about that for a couple of minutes. The first thing that they are, these are people who have a longing to learn more about their faith journey. They want to learn more about it and talk about it and discuss it. It's not something that they put on the shelf. You know, they go to church and they put it on the shelf and walk away from it. They want to read, and that, that means prayer. That means reading the Bible, but not just the Bible. It's great to read other great things. You know what's one of the things? Somebody told me this years ago. All truth is God's truth. And it's amazing how you can be reading Seneca or you can be reading Aristotle or you can be reading, you know, even, even the more modern philosophers, whoever they might be, and you can find truth that often points, whether they realize it or not, that often points back to, to, to God and to Christ and the biblical truths of the Bible. It's amazing how that works. But let me show you. Dallas Willard is a guy that I have a lot of respect for. He, uh, um, he just died, went to be with the Lord last month. If you've ever read, big writer, big author, maybe you've heard of him. Um, kind of considered a Christian mystic, a modern mystic, and it was very big in the contemplative type of things, contemplative meaning, going off for like a, 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 a day or a three-day or a three, in his case, probably a week or two or four um, of, of silent retreat type thing. I struggle to get through an hour for that, and, and, but some of these guys take, take like a month to do that. It's great to do. It really is. I've, the longest I've ever taken is four days to do that. About killed me. About killed me. But um, it was great, a great time just, to, just talking, to, talking to God. That's all you do. And um, he was great about it. But look what he says because he talked about this, this longing to learn more about your faith journey. This is some Dallas Willard stuff right here. The really good news for humanity is that Jesus is now taking students, I like how he says this, in the master class of life. The eternal life that begins with confidence in Jesus is a life in his present kingdom, now on earth and available to all. Watch what comes next. So the message of and about him is specifically a gospel for our life now. Now. Not just for dying. It's about living now. As his apprentice in kingdom living. Not just as a consumer of his merits. Our future, however far we look is a natural extension of the faith by which we live now and the life in which we now participate. A few, late, a few lines later in this writing, he goes, the key then to loving God is to see Jesus, to hold him before the mind with, with as much fullness and clarity as possible. It is to adore him. I love that because it's not, it, 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 the whole broad term of, and listen, these people, they want to learn more about what it means to be a, the, the apprentice of Jesus learning how to live in kingdom living. And, and, and the way we do that, of course, is through the Bible and, and, and talking with others uh, who, who, have, who are like-minded, even talking with some who may not be like-minded just to see what other people think so I can hopefully become more, more assured of my own way of thinking. Um, that's what these people are, these people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're not afraid of reading things, possibly, that may disagree with what their beliefs are. In fact, it's a good thing. And sometimes we get, get all crazy with some of that stuff. When you get into extreme cases where people start, you know, doing ridiculously stupid things like burning books and all this other kind of, oh, that's bad influence. But, I mean, that's, that's obviously the extreme and, and, and pretty, pretty silly and pretty stupid. But, but um, 
so many times, even not that extreme people, oh, you shouldn't read that. That's a bad influence. Uh, you know, depending on what it is, it may be good for you to expand your horizons a little bit to see what other people believe. In my case, I've done some of that. It always, it always reaffirms what I believe and the truth about Jesus. It's a good thing. So that's these people. They have a longing to learn more about their faith journey. Number two, these people have a concern for taking consistent personal inventory. Consistent personal inventory. This is really a big deal. And here's what I mean by that. Excuse me. So I'm, I'm, um, I don't normally need water when I speak, but two things have happened. We've had really hot weather, and the other thing is I've been working out more. I'm trying to find my six-pack. And um, it's down there somewhere. I haven't found it yet, but it's in there somewhere. So, I don't know. It might take a while. But anyway, um, they, they have this concern for taking consistent personal inventory. And here's what I mean by that. I had to throw this in and put this in, not just throw it in. I had to put this in because I've talked a lot about it's about the, it's about the heart. It's about the attitude. A person may not have it all together in terms of how they look. They may have a lot of rough spots. They may, they may, they may be doing some stuff they shouldn't be doing, but, the, but it's still about the heart. Somewhere we have to stop and say, wait a minute, it is about the heart. But if, 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 if I'm continually doing some things that are con- clearly against what the Bible teaches and what God says, there has to be a, a hiccup along the way somewhere, and I need to deal with that. So while our goal is not to, quote-unquote, get this perfect living in, in, in view, it is to be aware when I start behaving in a certain way that is inconsistent with my beliefs, that needs to get my attention. Let me give you an example from, from Galatians, the book of Galatians, New Testament book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul here is writing, and he, he's talking about personal inventory. He starts with the negative, and he moves to the positive. The negative, this is Galatians 5, verse 16. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, that, the Greek word there is pornea, which means any kind of sexual um, stuff outside of, outside of the bonds of matrimony, of marriage. And it might even involve, you know, feasting your eyes upon stuff that's not healthy for you and, and, and pornography, whatever it might be. It, 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 that encompasses all of that. So the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, uh, idolatry. We don't have any idol worshipers, do we? I haven't seen anybody bowing down to any totem poles anymore, have you? No, but there might be some things that consume us. Maybe you're one of those guys or ladies that, you know, likes to look at that portfolio every hour on the hour. And don't misunderstand. There's nothing wrong with having a nice, big, healthy portfolio. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I pray that that everybody that has a good, healthy portfolio will come to Renaissance Church. That's what I pray. I want them here. We love those people. Um, and, and you, but you know what I've learned? We always, it's always fun to pick on those folks. Ah, oh, you know, people who, who are rich, they, they're idol worshipers. You know what I've learned over the years? Sometimes people who are poor are just, just as much idol. They're just as consumed with money or the lack of. Unfortunately, when we talk about idolatry, it doesn't, it does not ex, it's not exclusive to a particular uh, income bracket. The, the poorest person in Appalachia could have just as much of a problem with this as the richest person on Wall Street. 
And, and we need to be aware of that. Idolatry is being consumed by the things of this world, whatever that might be. And then he goes on through idolatry and, and uh, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, being divided, envy. Jealousy and envy makes a distinction there between jealousy and envy. Jealousy is, is just being jealous of what other people have. Envy goes a step further. It's not only being... It's not only being jealous of what other people have, it's wishing they didn't have it. You know? I, I envy more often. There have been a few times in my life when I've envied a person's golf game. I wish I had his game and I wish he didn't have it so I could beat his butt. But, you know, that's, that's beside the point. That, 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 that would be wrong when I start not just wanting what somebody else has. Take that illustration away. But uh, whatever it is, whatever it is. And, and, and not wanting them to have it. You see, yeah, that's kind of a double whammy. Pretty, pretty ugly. Drunkenness, orgies, so forth, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Keep in mind, he doesn't say if you've done one or some of those things, because all of us have in some form. Later on in 1 Corinthians, he even writes, you know, idolaters, you know, all these drunk and swindling will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were all of us. We all were. But hopefully that's changed. Because then he gets into the good stuff in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Always an enigma to me. I've been in church, I said, I've been in church all my life. And especially as a kid. I, I, remember, I remember vividly. I, I can think of faces and even a few names. Um, of people who were, you know, pillars, so to speak, in the church. They were always there. They were, and they were the most unhappy people I've ever known in my life. And at the time, I was just a kid, so I didn't think, oh, I'm like, oh, God, what, what's their problem? Um, somebody somehow forgot to mention that one of the things that happens when a person is, is committed to Christ is there is love for people. There is joy. Wow. Peace, forbearance, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. By that he means there's no law. There's no law about that. And no law in the law of Moses of the 613 commands. He says, since we live by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. These people have this longing to learn about their, their faith and what it means to be a person of faith. And to talk about that. These people have a concern for taking consistent personal inventory in their lives. And the third thing, which overlaps with the second thing, they have that desire, and it's also to be fully self-aware and accountable. If I'm going to take inventory in my life, I can't do that by myself because we all develop these blind spots. And it's an issue. These people desire for their lives to be... um, Consistent and open and, and, and righteous before God. And they want a few friends that can help them in that endeavor. Not a lot, but a few. Let me show you a verse that over the years has meant, it just rings so true to me. It's in First Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 15. Be diligent in these matters. This is the, this is the Apostle Paul, 80-ish, 80 years old or so advising this 30-year-old young guy who also happens to be a pastor, Timothy. And uh, it's pretty amazing. I've been reading these 
these verses. I've been reading a lot the Bible since I was a kid, but but first and second Timothy especially have in the last 35, 40 years have really meant a lot to me. And it's really weird because I've I started reading as a as a 30 something, trying to, you know, hey, I'm gonna get some advice here. Now I'm on the other side of that, 33 years later. And, and I'm trying to say, yeah, there's so much. I, I've seen these things come true. Watch what happens here. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrines. You're teaching. Teaching, yeah. I teach as much with my actions as I do my words. Someday if you're a parent, you're going to find out something. It's, uh, I hope it's a good, but, it, but, but I have found it out. And that is the things that I did taught my kids as much, if not more, as the things that I said. Those little rascals, they're watching you. They don't miss a lick. They're watching you. Just, just kind of watch out for that. Might come back to bite you in the ear sometime. Um, watch your life and doctrine closely. Here's the point. Another Bible reads this way. Keep a firm grasp on both your character and your teaching. Don't be diverted. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. That's what we're to do. Just keep at it. You know, you don't just go from a marriage that that may be happy or maybe even just okay. You don't just go from that into therapy because you're not trying to figure out whether you're going to stay together. There's a series of compromises that have been made along the way. And somebody wasn't, somebody wasn't watching their life. You don't just go from being, <coughs> being just above, you know, above, above the board in every level to all of a sudden you've been cheating on your income tax or maybe on, your account, on your, some of your expense reimbursements and now you're getting... It didn't just happen overnight. There's a series of compromises that happen. That's why Paul watch your life and your teaching, what you live. Watch out for that. And oh, by the way, you need some people around you. Not many but a few people around you to help you with that. A few months ago, I was downstairs at one of my tables. I have about three tables that I own downstairs at Winberry's. And if anybody wants to sit down, they have to get my permission. So it's just how it works. Um, and, uh, but it's, I was sitting at one of my tables talking to some guy, and some guy was saying, just me and another guy. And he was saying this to me, and we are talking about some pretty intimate things in his life and so forth. And, and, and he says, you know, I get this. I get this. Pointing to me and him. I get this. He says, I don't get this, this group thing. You know, we're just starting life groups and so forth here in the church. Uh, I don't get this. What's that? I said, well, let me help you with this, all right? Let's, let's back up a little bit. I said, when did I first meet you? I said, let me help you with that. It was upstairs, whenever it was, and you came upstairs. And there were, how many people were there that day? Oh, two or three hundred people, yeah, okay. I said, and what happened after that? Then you started coming to a men's group. We have a Wednesday and, uh, and we, you know, then we started, you know, boiling it down to a few, a few of us. And, you know, men, men's group, sometimes it's 20, 25, and, and sometimes we break up into two or three groups, and it's, it's maybe 10, three groups of 10 or whatever. I said, then what happened? Then after, out of those groups came maybe just two or three of us. And that's how this happens. It starts here. That's why you hear us talking about life groups. We're not just trying to give, us, give ourselves something to do. There's a reason for that. And, 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 that's, and my friend was, was a perfect illustration. We need people like that. Not many. Can't trust many. I hate to tell you that. It's taken me a lot of years to figure that out. Because I used to trust everybody. 
can't trust many, but you can trust some. It only takes a couple, just a few. You can be honest with you. And those are the kind of people that can say things to you like, I can't believe how I just heard you talking to your wife. Are you kidding me? Are you drinking too much last six months? You seem to be, you know, double-fisted a little bit here. What's going on? If, if I, have I noticed a deterioration in your attitude about life? Not many people can say those kinds of things to you. But you need some. You need two or three. One or oh, I, Heck, I'll, study for, I'll settle for one or two for, for you. That's how... That's how this, this, when we start talking about learning, longing to learn, and we start talking about this idea of, of, of you know, wanting, it, it, doing this inspect, self-examination and invent, personal inventory. Well, there has to be some accountability there. And, and um, as or I like to call it, it's just this, this self-awareness and um, accountability. Let me, let me wrap this up with this quote. How, how is this going to happen? How's this going to happen? I want to quote a, a buddy. He's Italian. Or as we, as we say out in the Midwest, he's Italian. Um, you know, the Italians are so cool. I, I didn't really learn this until the last 11 years when I've lived here among I have a lot of Italian friends. I, want, I don't want, I'm, 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 I'm sidetracking here just for a second. How do the Italians get so darn cool? I mean, I mean, they got a corner on culture. They got a corner on music. They got a corner on food. God knows they got the best food in the world. It's crazy, you know. What am I? I'm Dutch. Oh yeah, that's really exciting. When's the last time? When's the last time you heard someone say, "Hey, let's go over to Cranford, that new Dutch restaurant over there"? Huh? I mean, I mean, how boring is Dutch? German Dutch. Jeez, I want to be an Italian anyway. All right, I'm back back to the subject here. Um, Giovanni Boccaccio. I had help with that. Giovanni Boccaccio. He lived from 1313 to 1375. Not a very long time. But he was Italian. Who cares? You know? Wasn't here for a long time. He was here for a good time, right? So a little, little, little George Strait for you there. Anyway, um, anyway he, he, here's what, th- th- listen to what he says. He, by, by the way, let me who he was. He was a, uh, a Renaissance poet, 1300. And he, um, a lot of his material later on, Chaucer, based a lot of his writings on, on Giovanni. And he was, he was really quite, quite the guy. Listen to what Giovanni says. This is, this is powerful to me. You must read. You must persevere. You must sit up nights. You must inquire and exert the utmost power of your mind. If one, one way does not lead to the desired meaning, take another. If obstacles arise, then still another. Until if your strength holds out, you will find that clear which at first looked dark. You must read. You must persevere. You must sit up nights. You must inquire. I add one thing to my friend Giovanni's statement, which I love that quote. I add one thing to it. You do all of that. Read, persevere, sit up nights, inquire, and pray. And pray. And sometimes my prayer has been, I'm not joking about this. Sometimes my prayer has been, Jesus, I need your help. I really need your help. That's all I got. Somehow God knows how to finish that paragraph. 
And sometimes those are our most, most effective prayers. Lord God, I need your help. You see, these are the people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And they will be blessed. They will be filled as much as you can be on this earth. God honors those prayers and that attitude. And may God give us that kind of resolve. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace, for your love, for the ability to just take things to you. Help us, Lord, I pray, particularly as we seek to be the kind of men and women that just hunger and thirst after the righteousness of our Lord and our God, of you. We thank you for that, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.